You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. The epistle lesson is from 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter, verses 6 through 19. So hear God's words for you. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made and for which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made a good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blemish until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is and blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, He alone who has immortality and dwells in unimproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and dominion. Amen. As for those in this present age who are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous, ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. This is the word of the Lord. Hold on. Has anybody noticed it's an election year? Kind of hard to miss, isn't it? I suspect you have also noticed that to my knowledge, not one word of partisan politics has been printed in anything this church has done, nor has been said from this pulpit. Why? We know we live in a political world because whatever our personal political beliefs, the Christian faith is bigger than that. In addition, if you side with one side or the other, you're going to fend the other half. And the church is not about to endanger its tax-exempt status for any of that stuff. (laughs) Thank you, but those are the wrong ones. (laughs) Actually, they'll work. I can see this, but I can't see you. (laughs) 
So my question then is, are you uncomfortable yet? Well, I suspect you ought to be. We've all been told that we do not discuss what? Politics, religion, and money. That's the third rail of polite society. You don't do that. Well, I hate to burst that little bubble of folk wisdom, but the truth is the church has to speak about all three. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. Our calling is is an attempt to speak, to work, to live, and yes, eventually to vote in ways that promote the deepest elements of God's kingdom. Now, having said that, it doesn't become partisan. Speaking and acting for God's kingdom transcends politics and religious arguments and money. But it's stewardship season. And you know the third rail I'm going to stand on today and invite you to stand on it with me. My suspicion is we're every bit as leery about talking about money as we are talking about politics. Oh, we might do it with close friends, especially if we know that they agree with us. It's not just that we're private people. We are, and we want to keep those money things to ourselves But I think when it comes to money, Christians are concerned lest we not be living up to the standards we know the Scripture and Jesus Christ has set for us. Those aren't easy standards. I've said to you before that fully one-third of all the stories Jesus ever told has to do with money. You know, go look it up. That's the way it is. If you don't believe that, look at the very harsh gospel lesson that's paired with Timothy today. Ask how did the rich guy end up where he was? You heard the story. Where we are concerned with security and taking care of our family and ourself And if we're perfectly honest, living a little bit of a profligate lifestyle, I mean, we are, after all, those sorts of folks. Jesus is way more concerned with the poor, the downtrodden, the outcast. And that's especially true when it comes to the way we use and spend our money. And yet here we are, and you are profoundly wishing that the preacher would just shut up and sit down and quit talking about money. Well, let me tell you something. I'd like to. (laughs) If it were up to me. (laughs) But it's not. And talking about money does not have anything to do with making sure that the church budget is big enough to do all the things this church says ministry is. Talking about money is not making sure that you give enough money to pay me. It really isn't. That's not what it's about. 
Money, wealth, and its use for Christians is a fair measure of our spiritual health. Money is the single most overlooked piece of our discipleship. I didn't make that up. Jesus made that up. The Apostle Paul follows in that. Well-known clergyman tells the following story. I wish one day I could quit being a fundraiser and get on with real ministry, complains the homeless shelter director. He had my sympathies. Here was a man who God had called to work with those less fortunate, but in order to do that, he had to spend a good part of every day dealing with the very fortunate in order to raise enough money to take care of the unfortunate. Oh, to be done with the mundane and get on with doing ministry. And then this minister writes, but then it occurred to me that as a pastor, I have spent most of my ministry being a fundraiser too. As a pastor, one of my least favorite times of the year, he writes, is stewardship season. And one of the reasons fall stewardship is always so difficult is because... It is a trustworthy barometer of the spiritual health of a congregation. Jesus said where our money is is where our heart is. Jesus himself puts material things at the heart of the reign of God. Is it okay if I add me too? One of the things that I will not miss when I eventually retire is stewardship season. I'm not going to miss that at all. And yet, this first letter to Timothy warns of the peril of wealth and the blessings of its proper use by asserting that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, note, it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. I can't think of any place in the Scriptures where it says that those of us who are well off are somehow more evil than others. The Bible doesn't do that. In point of fact, oftentimes, and even here in Timothy, the wealthy are considered to be sometimes more greatly blessed than others. But it is always blessed for a purpose. If you think it was given just for you, you're swimming in the wrong stream. To whom much is given is much required. Jesus said that. There are plenty of dire warnings against avarice or greed or love of money in the Scriptures, but this isn't one of them. The gospel lesson, however, might be. But strangely enough, it's not just the biblical witness down through the centuries we have to talk about this. It's also the witness of philosophers and sages, the Greeks and the Romans, many of them long before the time of Jesus. Felicius, who lived 100 and, excuse me, 560 years before Jesus wrote, 
The love of money is the mother of all evils. How about that? Could Paul have been thinking about that when he wrote to Timothy? Don't know. Philo, the Hellenistic Jewish philosopher, wrote, The love of money is the starting place for the greatest transgressions of the law. Paul is writing to pastor, young pastor Timothy, and he reminds him that money's not evil, but it has a great responsibility. Money is as necessary for Timothy and the congregation he served as money is for us. We all need sufficient to care for our daily needs, to prepare for a future none of us can envision. But money's also a double-edged sword because it can be used for evil too. An old Roman proverb has it that wealth is like seawater to a thirsty man. You drink and you drink, but it never quenches your thirst. And eventually it kills you. What is it about wealth and the accumulation of things that stops us from ever being able to say, enough? My father, long deceased, used to tell us when we were young adults, however much you spend you'll always wish you had a little more. And you know, sadly, that's pretty much the human condition. We think, of course, that we live in a vastly complex world, far different and far more complex than the first century when this letter was written. And of course, the truth is, we do live in a complex world. The things that have been discovered in the last 25 years in the realm of science and technology far outstrip anything that the world knew before. But the truth is, as far as I can tell, human behavior and human avarice has not changed one whit. We're the same as we were when Paul wrote this. We are capable of being just as greedy and just as generous as was the church that Timothy served. Today's scripture and in the gospel also raises the question, just how much do I need? You notice the question's not about how much should I give. The question is, how much do I need? Need becomes the rationale for our subservience to money. Maybe we would be better off if we kept it to basics. Enough food, enough shelter, enough work to provide for the future. But the nature of desire is that it's always growing. We all have a very difficult time saying enough is enough. Some of you know that when Karen and I eventually retire, we want to get a camper, travel around parts of the United States. So occasionally there's a show on TV about uh, extreme RVs. Anybody watch that? So I'm watching this a week or two ago, and I think, boy, it must be nice to travel in one of these things. 
until they began to talk about marble floors and exotic hardwood cabinets. I turned it off in disgust. I'd love to have a driving RV, but I don't have this stuff in my house. I don't want it in my house. Why would I? When do we say enough is enough? It's ridiculous. Maybe a large part of the church's stewardship program should be the church educating all of us about the dangers of desire. Maybe it ought to be so much about give more money as it is worrying about the danger of us wanting more and more and more. Maybe we need to learn to want the right things in the right ways and in the right proportions. But unfortunately, I think most often we come to church and we do the same thing with church we do with everything else. We come to get our needs met. And if our needs aren't met, well, we're not happy. We forget that the church is not about just meeting my needs it's also about judging my alleged needs. It's about giving me needs that I did not know I had till I met Jesus. We live in a society that has long since moved beyond the satisfaction of basic human need to the gratification of our wants. And every single one of us, including me, is guilty of that. We say we live in a consumer economy. You know what that really means? It means the economy is now driven by things we once thought were superfluous. Not core issues. And the truth is, there's not a great deal any of us can do about that. About the best we can do is be educated in our Christian discipleship to understand how to apply. So the church comes off as countercultural, and we need to be. We need to stand over against this. Probably some of you have read the author Frederick Beekner. He writes in a book called Whistling in the Dark. The more you think about money, the less you understand it. The paper it's printed on really isn't worth anything. There was a time when you could take it to the bank and tell them you wanted gold or silver, but now they just stare at you. Money is only worth it if there's not enough for everybody. It only has worth because the government says it has worth, and that's the only thing we trust the government for. The value of money, like stocks and bonds, goes up and it goes down, and nobody understands the reasons. You can make a great fortune on paper, you can lose it on paper. The reality is a baby throwing a rattle out of a crib has more reality than the way we look at money. I love that. There are people who use up their entire lives making money so they can enjoy a life that they've already entirely used up. You remember Jesus says it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle 
than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Maybe Beekner says it's not that the rich are so wicked that they're kept out of that place. But maybe it's they're so out of touch with reality that they can't see the value of getting into the place. When Paul speaks about those in the present age who are wealthy, we immediately began to think of the one percenters, you know, the multi-billionaires, the multi-millionaires. But that's really not who he's talking about. He's talking about us. And if we were able to have our lifestyle in that day, we would be the very rich. And God expects some degree of generosity with the financial assets we've been given. Unfortunately, the statistics are not very good for Christians in America. A few years ago, a book came out that had done great research in this. 20% of all American Christians give zero to the church, to the poor, or to charity. Of the 80% who do give, most are giving in the range of 1% to 2%. And the author says that the reason we don't give more is because we live in this radically consumer-driven culture. So I'm going to tell you a few things I've learned over the years because I've been doing this a long time. And the first thing is giving away money is a pleasurable activity. And if you've not experienced that, you need to go give away some money. It makes us feel good. And it does it for some, a lot of reasons. For some people, it gives them a little status. For some people, it makes them feel powerful. But maybe the best reason is we give out of a sense of gratitude. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. Some people want to make the world better, so they give. Giving money to human need is pleasurable. We feel like we get to address some of the problems in the world. The majority of Christian giving, however, really is tied to gratitude. When we understand that we have been the recipient of many gifts, we've been the recipient of all the gifts, we become givers when we realize we were first receivers. Some of you know that uh, our buildings get used by Presbytery for meetings, and I ran into Angus Shaw here in the buildings. He used to be pastor at uh, First uh, Johnson City. And we were talking shop, as preachers do when they get together, and Angus said, you know, if the church, if families in the church would tithe 10%, we could not spend or give away the money. And he's right. You'd have to double the budget. I don't expect that now. But that's what would happen. 
The other thing is, I've never known somebody who was generous with their giving who ended up regretting it. You don't regret generosity. A couple of other things that's important for us to remember. It's important to be a giver before you ask people to give. I really believe that we pastors have a responsibility in this. But how in the heck are you going to know? Because we are all so private about our giving. How are you going to know unless we tell you? Gratitude to God is supposed to be the core reason for giving. A German theologian and philosopher and mystic of the Middle Ages, Meister Eckhart said, if the only prayer you ever pray is thank you, it's enough. The major theological justification for giving alongside gratitude is that it offsets When we give, we recognize that no matter how much we think we're worthy of what we have, it all came as a gift. Every bit of it. One of the ways that you can reclaim a part of your soul from this consumer society is to give to the church and to the charities of your choice because when you do that, you have reclaimed a piece of what God has first given to you and you've given it back. I'd love to tell you that we've tithed our entire lives. We haven't. It took time to get there for us. But I don't regret getting there. Leaders in the church, we're talking about elders. Elders need to be people who are generous. How can you ask other people to be generous if you're not generous yourself? You know the main reason people don't give? Nobody ever asks them. Guess what? I'm asking it's time we quit playing games with this. The church has done a lousy job with stewardship over the years. God has given every single one of us an appropriate level of giving. You hear that? We all have an appropriate level of giving. And I'm not saying they're all supposed to be the same. If you're one of those people who are in the 1% slot... There's no way on God's good earth you can jump to 10%. You can't do it because you can't see the way to do it. Maybe you can move to two. You have to take the walk. Paul says to Timothy that the way to avoid the arrogance that we often have with wealth is to remind people that being rich is supposed to lead to good deeds. 
Live as Christ lives. Be rich in grace. Be rich in money. Be, be rich in mercy. Be rich in forgiveness. Be rich in the fruit of the Spirit. Because the day will come when you are not taking one thing you've accumulated with you. The Spanish proverb, there are no pockets in a shroud. Okay, y'all ready for this to end and so am I. I have never preached a sermon that made people generous. And this one didn't do it either. You're generous... Because God helps you to be generous. And so my prayer for you and for me, for all of us, is that we take the moment and we listen for God's still small voice and we determine how we can be authentically generous with the God who's given us everything. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.